Um, yeah, I'll tell you, um, I was just remarking uh, this morning with one of you about how I miss the choirs of old as well, the, the choirs. And I'll tell you what, second service is my choir. I'm going to just say that from the beginning here. It's my personal choir. I, I, have, I have difficulty even singing in this service uh, as I hear your voices resounding over me. But uh, first service is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Don't get that rumor out. We don't want that. <laughs> Got to fix that. <clears throat> it is, but uh, just the, the joy to have. I think it's just strength in number and such that can maybe do that. But I'll tell you, my heart is so, so full today, and I'm going to have to just really limit myself. It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Uh, those of you who are fathers or soon-to-be fathers or anybody who's come from a father can rejoice in this day because uh, it's, it's a wonderful day indeed. And uh, I'll tell you, but before I get too far in, I want to just express a note of thanks and appreciation to you, the congregation, who have just really, it seems like lately, have inundated me with cards and thank yous and emails and text messages. And uh, what a joy to go through the week and to see that, um, and to see that God is really getting through to us as a body as to who he is and his will for us. Um, those expressions of love and appreciation, we, Sarah and I and family, do not take those lightly. They are very affirming to us. They guide us and, and help us uh, during this time. I wanted to let you know that um, I um, put in my three weeks notice a couple weeks back. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to be done. Um, we can talk more about that later, but I, I just wanted to share that with my Christian family, and um, it wasn't uh, something that came easily, a little bit of anxiety associated with that, giving up, um, um, you know, formative income and such, but um, God God just has amazing ways of, of providing, and I'm blessed, so pray for us. We're, we're um, in that mode right now. But uh, that's not what I wanted to talk about. One, one of these notes, one of these notes just really touched me. It said, uh, hi, Eli, just wanted to thank you for the sermon Sunday. It was good to be reminded of who I am in Christ and what grace means to the believer. Probably your best sermon so far. <laughs> I love it. Well, the problem is if I've preached my best sermon so far, that means my worst sermon is yet to be preached, so... Bear with me. Um, if you're willing to take the good with the bad, I'm, I'm willing as well. So um, happy Father's Day uh, as we celebrate this uh, very important day and the role that fathers have played in our lives. Now, I got to just confess, um, it is entirely appropriate on a day like today to deviate from our series on the attributes of God and give special attention and note to our fathers. And I was going to do that. I almost did that. And I, even to this moment, I'm resisting the temptation of jumping off the notes and sharing with you just so many things that are on my heart today. But I chose not to while I was torn and tempted uh, to do that. And it's entirely appropriate on these days to do that. I looked at the next two attributes here, which we're going to be covering today. And that is the faithfulness of God and the patience of God. And I thought, oh dear, as, as a dad, I probably need to hear that and preach that the most uh, when it comes to uh, a day like Father's Day. So what better topic could we study than the patience and faithfulness of our God on Father's Day? But um, 
my heart is so full of emotions today for so many reasons. I'm like running the, the, the spectrum, the gamut, or the gauntlet, really, of emotions. I am, I've had so many interesting experiences uh, this week, culminating with yesterday and even today yet to come. But um, see, I don't know if you recall when I gave my testimony that uh, I, I grew up without a father. I had a broken home. He left the home when I was, um, I think, five years old. And that, you know... The entire family was left to mom to raise uh, four, two boys, two girls, um, two rough boys, and, and two, two nice girls. But um, <laughs> the fact is, is that um, growing up without a father, on the one hand, it was very hard and difficult and negative, uh, some experiences. But God was so faithful to me as a young man to provide uh, strong men in my life from early on. Some men who were not even believers and who later became believers. But uh, God, God just amply supplied me with men all through my life and to this day are, is continuing to supply godly men in my life to influence me. And one of those men I want to mention today is here with us, uh, my father-in-law, um, attorney at law, uh, Dick Churchwell. Richard Churchwell is here today. I just wanted you guys to welcome him and and uh, <clears throat> thank you. In, in many respects, uh, the, the closest thing to a real father that I've ever had. So Dick, I'm, I'm grateful for you this day. Judy, his wife, is also here, stood by his side many years. And uh, her sister, Connie, and of course, my uh, youngest daughter, uh, Savannah, is with us today as well. So just a, just a fun day for me. And we're going to go out and celebrate after the service here uh, a little bit as well. But I'm reminded of Psalm 68.5, which says he is the father to the fatherless. Is he not? And you maybe have a similar story as mine. I'm not sure. But um, God put all these men in my life and then taught me how to be a man in some way. A limping one to be sure, right? A messed up one to be sure. But he's taught me to be a man through all of these men that he has invested in my life. And Today, one of those emotions is hard because I had to give up my son yet again to the Naval Academy. They recalled him. Um, COVID break is over, and they're, they're getting back to work. Um, and uh, he pulled a fast one on me this, uh, this Father's Day. I think all the children were involved in this, and my wife was as well. But um, what, I, what I maybe have not mentioned yet about my dad is that uh, he was uh, of the Apache tribe, tribe, White Mountain Apache, and he... Um, uh, the t- about the time I started law enforcement, he threw himself into a um, um, uh, an artistic endeavor that that he 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 founded about three different art artist artist studios um, in the Southwest, and he painted I think I don't know I I got to count them probably twenty to thirty portraits of Native American landscapes and scenery and things like that, and they're all gone. Um, I don't know where they're at. The originals are all sold, um, dis- dispersed, given away, whatever. And I've never actually laid my eyes on an original. And my son did some research, and he found a guy who helped my dad get all of these paintings in order. And he took uh, those old Viewmaster slides of everything, you know, and, and Silas somehow got a hold of those, and he, he gave them to me on Father's Day. And I, I just died. I just was freaking out. I've never had such an amazing, thoughtful gift. But anyway, more than that, he picked one of his favorites out of the collection of, of 30 or so. And uh, he had this kind of reprinted on, on canvas and such. Um, 
to, to kind of be an image of, of the original there. And there it's signed here. Eli Black Eagle is the name that he used, um, you know, to, to promote his art. But what a, what a precious gift. And thank you, sweetheart, and, and the, the girls as well who helped make that be a reality. Um, I didn't want to talk about Eli today, but those are just some of the emotions that I, I have. And I'm glad to be able to share those uh, with you as we talk about the faithfulness and patience of God today on Father's Day. Let's pray as we begin our message. Heavenly Father, indeed, you have proven yourself faithful to your people. Thank you for never failing us. Thank you for providing not only what we need, but so many things that we don't even deserve. And we couldn't begin to recount to you all the blessings uh, that you've given us, Lord. We just collectively, corporately give you a resounding thanks right now thanksgiving for your faithfulness to us and really for your patience to us as we will see today lord because we we have failed you so many times but you have never failed us once and you never will will and your patience will prove true to the end and so bless this day bless our fathers may you encourage them it can be a very challenging and daunting responsibility it can be one with heavy guilt associated with it, Lord. And I would just ask today as we look to you that we would also, as dads and moms, that we would look towards freedom as well. And that that our children would look to you and not necessarily to us as dads, but to you as our great heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray your blessing now upon our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was Thomas Chisholm in 1923, who penned those marvelous classic words which we've already sung, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And we know this song, and it's been part of our Christian tradition for many years. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time looking into the faithfulness of of God. And it's very relevant today as dads, especially, and moms, or just as children, this idea of patience and faithfulness. Because to put it uh, frankly and to, to, to be blunt, we are oftentimes the most unfaithful and impatient people on the planet, are we not? We can, we can manifest this in many different ways. For instance, man's lack of faithfulness is often seen in his unfaithfulness to his own word. We will often say we're going to do something and then we will not do it. <clears throat> or we will say we will not do something and then we will end up doing it. Whether we're speaking in the business world, man's word is no longer his bond. It is in many cases, but in, it's in rare exceptions anymore. And in the workplace, sometimes we please man. We seek to please man rather than pleasing God. We, uh, we uh, act differently in the presence of the boss, do we not? When uh, the, the cat's away, the mice then play. And that's something that's, that's seen. Faithlessness exists in marriages today. Oftentimes, uh, the marriage uh, divorce rate, rather, 50% of couples, even in the church, Uh, in that marriage in divorce, not being faithful to their vows, faithful to their covenant before God and man, end up living as roommates in in their homes or completely abandoning the home altogether, as was the case of, of my father. And I know I'm not the only one. I spoke after the first service and had a number of individuals come up with similar, similar stories. It's common to man, man's faithlessness. And that's not even to mention man's impatient, impatience. 
Because while we may be faithful to a certain degree, we are certainly known as very impatient people. For instance, impatient with our time uh, in traffic and getting frustrated with the, the pace of things or standing in line or waiting for dinner to be done. Uh, impatience can manifest itself even in our home with things, uh, our computer being too slow to refresh, our car breaking down at just the wrong time, and then we, we become impatient with our circumstances and situations. With one another, we become patient with one another and we will interrupt each other and we will, we will get others to get to the point quicker or we will often um, not, not be able to take time to slow down with people or we'll be dis, dissatisfied with their pace of growth that they are currently under, which is God's pace for their growth. And there's so many things we can be impatient with. But today, bless God, none of this is true of God. We often fail to display these virtues, but God faithfully and patiently displays these virtues at the heart and core of who he is. This is his nature that we're going to be speaking about today. And it is impossible for God to act in any other way other than being faithful and being patient. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that he remains faithful. If we are faithless, he will be faithful. If we deny him, it says he remains faithful. God is a God of faithfulness. So this is a reasonable location for our study and a reasonable message on Father's Day as we become challenged with this communicable attribute of God. This is an attribute of God that we also are to model. So everything we hear about God today in this regard, to a degree that is possible, humanly speaking, and by the Spirit of God, of course, we ought to be modeling as well. So if you're taking notes, if you turn in your bulletin, we're going to kind of give you two little mini-sermons today with these attributes. The first will be on the faithfulness of God, and I just want to explain this a little bit using some of the original uh, language in the Scripture. When we talk about the faithfulness of God, we use the term pistis in Greek, and that is simply a word that simply means faithful. It means reliable. It means dependable. It's used of God and man that this person can be counted upon. And it carries the meaning of being mindful of one's promise and mindful of one's responsibility. In other words, my promise, my word is in my mind here if I am faithful. Another word, kind of an equivalent, is aletheia or aletheinos in Greek. And this means to be true or truthful. Someone that is genuine. Someone who is the real deal. He is a lathanos, and it's often linked together, this idea of being faithful and true. And we see these words show up together in Revelation 19.11, where it says the Lord Jesus Christ, upon his return, is named faithful and true. And so our definition this morning that we're going to use for the study is faithfulness is the attribute of God by which he can be counted on to do what he says and to fulfill all his promises to man. Now, I should say, when God is in the business of fulfilling his promises to man, those are promises which are rooted in goodness to his children, that's you and I, or severity to his enemies. You see, God's promises go beyond his children. God's promises also address his enemies. And there will be severity at stake with his enemies. But that's not yet. We're talking about faithfulness at this time. And I just want to expand on this and illustrate it in a couple of ways here. God carries out his promises. Note that. 
God is a God who carries out his promises. There is no lack of fidelity. There is no lack of faithfulness. He is consistent. He is true. Note that God never forgets. And he never fails. And he never falters. And he never forfeits his word. He is absolutely reliable. He fulfills every promise. It may not be here. It may not be now. It may not be the way in which you expected that promise to be fulfilled. But God ultimately will fulfill all of his promises. It is based in his nature. He will not prove unfaithful and he will never act inconsistently with himself. See, all of these attributes of God are at the core of who he is. He is 100% of all of these attributes. That is the miracle of his being. And this is our God. He is faithful and true. Now, we could, we could, uh, there's no point in enumerating, uh, n- you know, numbers of scripture on this because it's, it, we would just be here all, all morning doing this. But one that you could jot down is Numbers 23, uh, 19. And it's an interesting one in Numbers 23 because this is that whole interaction between Balaam and Balak and, and the whole situation there. But he asked an, a fascinating question. He, he says, he says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? You see, God is basically testifying to his own reliability here. And he's saying that he's not like man who says things and then doesn't do them or plans things and doesn't pull it off. If he said it, he's going to do it. If he's spoken it, he'll make it good. And that is the God that we serve. There are many other scriptures like this. Deuteronomy 7, 9 refers to God as the faithful God. Or Deuteronomy 23, um, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 3. This is another, uh, another one where God is described as the rock. The rock is our God. His work is perfect All his ways are just, and I love this, a God of faithfulness without injustice. God is just, and he is a God of faithfulness. And this is illustrated in just so many scriptures. Uh, We we talked about um, Lamentations 3.23 already, where it it is said that great is thy faithfulness. In other words, your faithfulness is not small, God. Your faithfulness is not minuscule. You're not stingy with your faithfulness. In fact, um, it says in um, Psalm 36.5, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heaven, and your faithfulness reaches the skies. Like God's faithfulness is just, is just powered up from the ground and, and it reaches up into the heavens as, as a way of, of measuring it, just seeing that there is no end to this faithfulness. And this is very important because in our day, as I've already suggested, that there, there are people who are not faithful and there are people uh, who will fail you. In fact, um, my mother would oftentimes, whenever I would call her or... Um, I still do. I talked with her yesterday and, you know, oftentimes we'll talk about things with the job or whatever and maybe how people have uh, maybe disappointed me or whatever the case may be. And I'm sure I've disappointed many and will. But um, it, it, mom, mom would always say, you know, Eli, one thing is true. People will always disappoint you. People will always disappoint you. And, and she would just have that as a mantra like, what? OK, I realize you're upset today. I realize this isn't your best day, but 
did you really expect something other from people? And it's kind of just like a reality check for me and maybe like a lowering of my expectation of others. Like, well, of course they're going to dis... Oh, as if I've never disappointed anybody. And, and this, is how, this is how we think, right? It's always, oh, everybody else is failing. Everybody else is unfaithful. But, but here's, here's where we need to, to kind of focus. In 2 Timothy 4 is, is this um, situation that Paul ran into. And in verse 9, he begins talking to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. And he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke was with me. Pick up Mark. And and then he's saying, uh, Alexander, verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Uh, The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. How would you like to be Alexander the coppersmith? You make it into the permanent record with the documentation that the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Um, but anyway, he's saying be on guard against him and, and all these other things. But, and it sounds so gloomy, but then in verse 17, these wonderful, wonderful words, which really are for all of us. But the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order to, that through me the proclamation may be fully accomplished. And so this, these are just illustration upon illustration of God's faithfulness to us and people will let you down and they will disappoint you but you must focus on the faithfulness of your god aw pink has a profound quote when it comes to the faithfulness of god he writes there are seasons in the lives of all when it is not easy not even for christians to believe that god is faithful our faith is sorely tried our eyes bedimmed with tears and we can no longer trace out the workings of his love Our ears are distracted with the noises of the world, harassed by the atheistic whisperings of Satan, and we can no longer hear the sweet accents of his still, small voice. Cherished plans have been thwarted. Friends on whom we have relied fail us. A professed brother or sister in Christ betray us. We are staggered. We sought to be faithful to God, and now a dark cloud hides him from us. We find, excuse me, we find it difficult, yea, impossible for carnal reason to harmonize his frowning providence with his gracious uh, promises. Ah, faltering soul, severely tried fellow pilgrim, seek grace to heed Isaiah 50.10, which says, Who among you is that fears the Lord and that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and be stayed upon his God. I love that. To be stayed upon his God. To settle oneself upon your God. And he is the source of faithfulness. You see, you've placed your your, uh, hope and expectations in other people's faithfulness. Although we should be faithful, we are not. And yet God is always faithful. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters today, are you staying yourself upon your God as really the only source of non-disappointment because he will never disappoint? Well, let's apply this briefly. You probably know where we're going with the application is that if God is faithful, number one under the application is we ought to be faithful to God, ought we not? We ought to at least make efforts by the power of the Holy Spirit to return thanks to God who has been so faithful to us Would it not be reasonable that we would commit to him in faithfulness and that we would keep our promises to him? Psalm 61 talks about, I will pay my vows to the Lord. I've said something to the Lord and I'll be faithful to him. 
by enduring trials and temptations. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man, and he will provide a way of escape. He is faithful, it says. God is faithful to us even in temptation, and so we respond to him in faithfulness as well. But also we should mention today that in addition to being faithful to God, we should be faithful to one another as well, should we not? We should not be known as those who are unfaithful individuals. We should be faithful one to another by keeping our word one to another, by not lying one to another. Colossians 3, 9, written to Christians, written to the saints at Colossae. Paul says, stop lying to one another. Yeah, Christians can lie. Christians can lie to one another. And Paul here calls us that as part of being faithful, we are to not do that. Faithful to our spouses, faithful to our families, faithful to our employers, faithful to fellow employees. When we give our word, God expects us to carry it through by letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Matthew 5.37, Jesus calls us to that standard. By not being duplicitous, 2 Corinthians 1.18 says, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Two-faced, double, double talk. God is faithful and he is yes or he is no. And so our word to you is not yes and no. It's one or the other. This is the faithfulness of God. And, and I, could, I could say so much more here. There's songs written about the faithfulness of God. There's psalms written. Psalm 89 is written about this. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known thy faithfulness with my mouth. See, this is why God gives us history, folks. This is why God gives us long life, so that we can speak of the faithfulness of God with our mouths. For I have said, loving kindness will be built forever in the heavens. Thou wilt establish thy faithfulness. And the heavens will praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. That's right here. O Lord God of hosts, who is like thee, O mighty Lord, thy faithfulness surrounds thee. This is an attribute of God that he, it surrounds who he is. And, and I could say so much more about the faithfulness of God, but you are just living testaments of it. And, and as you reflect on the history of your life, you should reflect this day in a father who has not abandoned you, in a father who has come to your rescue in your greatest need and who cares for you and faithfully has placed his love upon you. Well, let me give you the second sermon for today, because not only do we need to talk about faithfulness, but we need to talk about the patience of God. And so if you look down here at the rest of your notes here, we're going to talk about his patience now. Now, I need to tell you, I love the faithfulness of God, but it's the patience of God that really strikes at my heart. Because... Uh, I find myself the continual and perpetual recipient of God's patience and, and his blessings in my life. But I find myself so frequently being so absolutely impatient with other people. Am I the only one? I, I find that God has been so patient with me through all of the years of my life, and especially the early years of rebellion against him, only to bring me to himself and then continue to display goodness to me. And then I turn around and I am so short and so short-tempered and, and, and so wanting instant results or instant gratification or instant fixes to problems that have sometimes taken years to, to get myself into. 
And it's the patience of God that just leaves me stunned when I consider it. So let's explain this a little bit here. And I want to begin, first of all, by clarifying, first of all, what patience is not. Because sometimes the patience of God is misinterpreted, is it not? Sometimes we fail to understand and people in general fail to understand. I want you to note what it's not. First of all, the patience of God is not inaction. It is not inaction. So some people think, well, well, if, if God is just not doing anything, is that his patience? But Ecclesiastes 8, 11 says, because a sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, the hearts of men are given fully to do evil. We see this today, do we not? When a sentence is not executed quickly, it, 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 the hearts of men are fully given to do evil. I was watching the news here recently, and they found the guy that started uh, the process of the uh, third precinct in Minneapolis being burned down. And, uh, you know, I wonder if that guy thought he got away with it. The thing is, they're not charging him locally. They're not charging him with a state um, statute. They're charging him federally, which federally is a whole different ballgame. Federally still has the mandatory minimum sentences. You can find yourself 20 years in a federal penitentiary like that, I mean, if you've met the elements of those crimes and if you're found guilty of it. Uh, this, this individual has a very rude awakening, but there was a moment when he thought, well, I can burn this, I can do this, I can wreak havoc here. And because a sentence is not done quickly, that encourages others to, to play ball as well. But that is not the patience of God. I'll just be inactive up here. No, that's not so. Justice is coming. In fact... Justice is coming next week, I'll tell you. We're going to be studying the justice of God next week. Now, ultimate justice, hopefully that's not coming next week. Although we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? But we're going to see here that really there's a reason God is slowing things down here. Patience, but secondly, is also not indifference. Please note it's not inaction, but it's also not indifference. Psalm 7:11 says, God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day, God is in a perpetual state of anger. He is not indifferent. And just because you don't see justice being displayed does not mean he is indifferent to it. He is not likened to that proverbial passive parent that lets the child grow itself or himself or herself. He is not that uh, indifferent employer, permissive boss that just kind of lets the thing unravel. No, he is not indifferent. He has an emotional response to the situation daily. Thirdly, patience does not mean that God is ignorant. God knows all things, right? We've studied this. Psalm 10, 11, the, the sinner says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Not so. God sees all things. God knows all things. He is in every single place in the universe and he is not ignorant of it. He is omniscient of all things. And finally, patience does not mean that God is impotent impotent, powerless. In fact, we have learned that God is omnipotent, right? God is all-powerful. He has all power at his disposal. The everlasting God, Isaiah 40 says, the creator fainteth not, neither is weary. He never grows tired, never grows old, never grows weak, never grows impotent. That's what patience is not. So what is it? What is patience? Well, there's some terms here that help us understand this, and we'll see how these fit together, especially with next week. This first term is very interesting. It is erek af, which is a reference in Hebrew to the face 
it has to do with uh, having a long face or, or a stable face. A, a face that is formed and, 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 and stationary, as it were. And this face is slow to turn angry. That's what the word means. Now, why I mention this in context of next week's lesson is because when we study later the wrath of God, it is also a reference to the face changing and the nostrils. We'll talk about that later. But right now, it is, it is the long, stable, solid face. And this is what patience means. Uh, a Greek counterpart is makrothumia, which means long-tempered. You have a long-tempered. Have you ever heard of a, a guy with a short fuse? Well, this is a guy with a long fuse. And it's ascribed to God, and it's ascribed to man in the Scriptures. Someone who has self-restraint. He's not flying off the handle. And this is especially true with unsatisfied desire. In other words, there's a desire to do something, but this idea of macrothumia holds back, holds you back from, from engaging in that. And it's used in Romans 9.22 where it says, what if God, although, although um, tolerating with much patience vessels of wrath? In other words, the wrath is coming. The wrath is coming, but it's not time yet. And God is tolerating these individuals. And that's that word. Or hupomene is another word, which means to bear up under, to sustain under suffering, and to endure something. So our definition for patience that I've offered today is this. It is the attribute of God by which he holds back judgment. And he, he endures the persistent wickedness of man while not immediately avenging himself. Do you see that? So, so vengeance is coming, justice is coming, but patience holds it back. Patience prevents it from being executed at this very moment. Now, I want to just expand on this briefly here. I want to tell you guys, especially on Father's Day today, God is a God and God is a father to us. God is a judge also. However, this judge does not just judge matters instantly. He, he does not just fly off the handle. He does not have just knee-jerk reactions, right? And, and dads, I'm, I'm just going to challenge us today because I'm challenging myself. Uh, is this described of us? Are we quick to judge as fathers on Father's Day? Are we quick to fly off the handle? Unpredictable, knee-jerk reactions, whether it's at work or whether it's at home with our spouse or with our children. You see, God is slow to act, is he not? Sometimes so slow, we wonder what is going on in the heavens. He is slow to act. He is methodical. God, listen to this, dads, sees the big picture. He sees the big picture. Is he offended? Yes. But he slows himself, and he doesn't just, just explode with anger. He controls himself through this slowness. He takes all things into account. And note this, God is willing to endure wrongs for a greater good. He's willing to endure wrongs. Wrongs perhaps by his children who have maybe failed to be what they ought to be as children. But have you not also, dads, failed to be what you ought to be as fathers and mothers, moms? And so here we understand as this idea of patience begins to kind of kind of find its home in our hearts this morning here, that, that it is of God, but it should be of us as well. You see, God has granted a stay of execution of final justice. And this is a demonstration that he is willing to defer punishment as long as possible. God is deferring punishment 
as long as possible. It's no surprise that in our series, the last attribute of God that we're going to cover is justice. We're going to cover that next week, Lord willing. Justice, the justice of God is coming next week, but we are in the, the era of grace. And I've put justice intentionally at the back of the lesson plan. And, and is that not reasonable that it be there? Because God's ultimate justice, his final just, justice, also occurs where in the history of redemption? It, it doesn't occur at the beginning. It occurs at the end. And here's, here's these words all coming to life that our God puts a stay of execution for centuries, yea, verily, millennia, right? Millennia of holding back judgment. Oh, there's judgments once in a while. We see that in the Old Testament. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, you know, struck dead for offering strange fire to the Lord, or Ananias and Sapphira for uh, lying to the Holy Spirit and such. They're gone. I mean, how about that for church growth? You know, don't go in there. People die in there. Carried them out on a stretcher. And so there are these instant manifestations of justice. But for the most part, would you not agree, it is put off and put off and put off as long as, I don't want to say humanly possible, divinely possible, right? It is put off as long as divinely possible. Why? So that we can come to our senses as a lost humanity and turn and receive grace and forgiveness. This is the stay of execution. Patience moderates what the justice of God would do instantly right? Did you catch that? This is why all of the attributes of God have to be taken as a whole. The patience of God moderates it and holds back what God would otherwise do instantly, instant justice. Whenever I think of instant justice, I blush to admit this, and I hope you don't have to admit this, but have you ever seen the movie Judge Dredd? Wow. I mean, that's kind of one of these sci-fi, futuristic cop type of movies. I end up watching those once in a while. And Judge Dredd is this wild, I don't know, what is he, like a cop judge or something? I mean, bad time to mention this, I mean, no, but it's in the sermon here. It was in the sermon before all of this mess was happening. But Judge Dredd, if you've ever seen it, and don't watch it, it's, it's an awful movie. <laughs> right. Judge Dredd is this, I guess he's like a police officer that has the authority to execute instant justice. It's a bad illustration here, but here's the point. God is not Judge Dredd. God does not just come to us in the moment we sin, you're out of existence or you're instantly damned, instantly judged. Instead, there is, well, way more than due process. There is due grace. There is due mercy. There is due forgiveness. There is due compassion. There is due patience for you and for I to, to, to come to our senses and to learn and, and to have, have time in this life to change things. But it won't last forever. It won't last forever. As I said, we're going to be looking at the justice of God next week, and we're going to see some of the more dreadful aspects of God. But now is a day of patience. Stephen Charnock said, patience sets many a sinner on running into the arms of mercy. Isn't that good? Patience is there saying, stimulating you, causing you to think you need mercy. You don't want justice. And this is what what just fascinates me with all of the cries and the chants today and you turn on the TV and we want justice and we want justice. Now listen to me. I don't want injustice in the land. I'm not saying that. We don't want injustice in our land and there are tremendous examples of injustice in our land. But I'm going to tell you something. Be careful to cry out 
in the land for justice. Because if you cry out for justice, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Justice is what? Getting exactly what you deserve. To the T, justice is getting exactly what you deserve. And folks, you and I deserve nothing better than hell an eternity separated from God and the presence of his power. That's justice. Now, we don't want injustice and we should not tolerate it. But if we cry too loudly for justice, we might just get it. Instead, we should cry for mercy. We should cry for God's patience. We should cry for God's forgiveness and his grace, which we've so richly been able to learn about as well. And that is where we need to reorient our minds here. Now, there's a ton of scripture here. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe for your studies, you could jot them down. But Exodus 34, 6 Uh, We actually looked at this last week. It said, uh, the Lord passed by in front of Moses and said to him, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Remember that when we talked about grace last week? But look at what's next there. Compassionate, gracious, here it is. Slow to anger. We missed that, didn't we, last week? Slow. Moms and dads, we need to be people like our God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. There's that other attribute of God's love, his said. And so uh, Psalm 103.8, I'm just going to mention these. Psalm 145.8, I do like Nahum 1.3, where God is described as slow to anger, and note this, great in power. He's slow to anger, but guess why he's slow to anger? How is he slow to anger? I look at him and I'm just amazed at how slow to anger he is. I wish I could be more like him. You know how? Because he's great in power. See, it's his power that is also regulating his patience and his slowness to anger, giving, giving that patience strength and endurance. You have to be an omnipotent God to be an ultimately a a, a patient God. But uh, there will be a day when that patience will run out. Let me just illustrate this as we, as we kind of begin to wrap things up here. I'm going to illustrate it in just a few different ways. Rapid fire here. Just get your notes down really quick here, and you can study these on your own here. God was first patient to our first parents. Would you write that in, our first parents? I'm talking Adam and Eve. Did you notice that when Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't just level the human race? He didn't just call in an airstrike and throw all the artillery that he had on on Adam and Eve? What did he do? He actually let them enjoy the rest of that day, right? Um... Now, it's said in the day that you eat of this, you will die. And they did. They died spiritually. Uh, spiritual death is separation from God. They became separate, right? They realized they were naked and now they feared God. They had no fear of God prior to this. But now they had, so they died spiritually. But did you know they didn't die for a long time physically? And, and this is God's grace and patience with them. And, and he didn't destroy them. And instead, he comes to them and he speaks to them and he questions, where are you, Adam? He knew exactly where Adam was at. Where are you, Adam? Do you know where you're at, Adam? You're outside of my will, Adam. Uh, Have you eaten? Wait a minute, God, I thought you were omniscient. I am, but you need to be asked this question. You need to reckon with this. Have you eaten of the fruit that I said not to eat? And then the blame shifting, right? The the wife you gave me and the wife, well, the serpent you put here, that's all God's fault. And, and God is so patient with all of that, and he allows Adam to live 900 years after the fact. And not only does he allow Adam and Eve to live that length of time, but he promises a Savior through 
the life of Eve, the mother of all the living. And the Savior comes through Eve. So there's a sense in which Adam and Eve are even allowed, I don't want to say to redeem themselves, that would be bad theology, but they are allowed to participate in the redemption through the life of a baby boy, the the future of which would produce another baby boy with a line of harlots and murderers and all of these other fallen individuals within that line showing the patience of God towards sinners. This is our God and he is so patient with us as manifested to the first parents. And by the way, I just want to say, I mentioned this first service, there is a theological movement out there and it is, it is moving to disconnect you from your first parents. You got to know about this. There, there is a movement. You see, we believe in the federal headship of Adam, that we in some mysterious way, uh, we, we are connected to Adam and he is our federal representative of the human race. And he did what we would have done. This is, this is representation and this is the economy that God has built this way. Now you say, well, I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have eaten the fruit and I would have been on top of things with, with Eve and all of this. No, you wouldn't have. You would have done exactly like Adam. And here's why. You possess a sin nature, right? Adam didn't. Adam did not have, he was in a state of innocence. Far more capable and far more able to reason than you or I who are now under the burden of sin. And he still chose of his free, decisive will to obey or disobey. And we are in Adam, whether we like it or not. Newsflash, because... If we resist being in Adam, the first Adam, guess what also we must resist? We must also resist the second Adam, who is the Lord Jesus, who all through the New Testament, the apostle and all others say we are in Christ. In your readings, next time, just notice how many times you read, we are in Christ, in Christ, blessings in the heavenlies, in Christ. And so you can't have it both ways, my friend. And this is what I want to say to those theologians. Do you believe in us being in Christ? Well, of course. Yeah, I bet you do because you want the benefits of Christ. But you don't want the accountability of being in Adam. They come together. This is why he's called the first Adam and the second Adam. The first man and the true man, right? Because Jesus is that which represents true humanity. He obeyed the will of God perfectly. And that was the original design. But I need to move on. That was our first parents. Uh, jot down also, he was gracious or uh, patient with um, pre-flood humanity pre-flood humanity. We're just moving through history here. Genesis 6 through 7 is where we see pre-flood humanity. And this, this showed an amazing um, um, patience of God towards the time of uh, Noah. This is what I'm referring to here. And you remember Noah's ark and all the time that Noah spent building that ark. And it says something interesting in 1 Peter 3.20. It says the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. What this is saying is it took time for Noah to build the ark. It took a lot of years. And in theory, those years could have been met by individuals who said, you know, Noah's got his thing going here. He's got his family all ready and prepped for this. What if this is real? What if this flood is really going to come? And they had 120 years of building this huge boat. 
Every plank that went in, every, I don't know if it was nail or I should probably study that out, but every aspect of that boat that went up was a message going out saying, this is the day, this is the day of grace, this is the day of forgiveness, this is God's patient, he hasn't brought down judgment yet. And then it says in 2 Peter 2, 5, while Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's interesting. He not only was a boat builder, he was a preacher. And I think that's what he was doing while he was building. Well, what are you doing, Noah? You're kind of crazy You're building a big boat. What are you afraid of? And he's preaching and he's declaring truth. And this shows his patience there of those who could have repented and jumped on the boat, but no one wanted to get on the boat. And so as a result, he rescues his family and a remnant of animals to repopulate the earth. Well, it goes on, though. Thirdly, God's patience is illustrated to rebellious Israel. Would you note that? Rebellious Israel. Often referred to in Scripture as the stiff-necked ones. The stiff-necked Israel, right? Oh, Israel, thou that stonest the prophets. The prophets who brought you good word, who brought you truth, who brought you life. You killed the prophets, Israel. And yet God refers to Israel as my beloved. Those who rebelled and rejected God's leadership and went after the gods of the nations and adulterated themselves with false gods and faithlessness to God. Do you know what he calls them? Israel, mine elect. Israel, my choice people. Israel, my beloved Israel, the apple of my eye. You know what the apple of your eye is? It's that little pupil part that if you touch it, you're so sensitive you can't even touch it. And that is the apple of God's eye. Israel, the chosen people of God. And, and this is rebellious Israel. And it says in Acts 13, 18, that for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And there's other examples, not just the wilderness. Uh, I love the authorized version, which says, he suffered their manners. See, they had bad manners. People of God? Yeah, people of God had bad manners. And God suffered their manners. He, he was long-suffering with how they acted. And yet, to this day, they are known as the chosen people of God. I mean, just ask yourself, when's the last time you saw a Hittite running around? Or an Amorite? Or a Jebusite? Or a Perizzite? But I'll tell you what, you could probably just pick up the phone, right? And you can find an Israelite. You can find an Israelite because God is faithful. God is faithful to his chosen people. And he is faithful, manifested in his patience to his children, Israel. But it gets better. Fourthly, God is not only patient to all of those, but he's patient to ungodly Gentiles. That's you and I. If you're not Jewish, if you're not an Israelite, you're a Gentile. It's just the way it is. Two people groups that God has established. You are either his chosen people, Israel, or you are originally an ungodly goyim. Uh, and and this, is, this is God's economy that he has, that he has uh, made this way. But listen to what God has done to the nations, to the Gentiles, you and I. Acts 14, 16, it says, In the generations gone by, he permitted the Gentiles to go their own way. But in these later days, he gave goodness and rains in their due season. And he allowed them to have gladness of heart. They could enjoy things, the Gentiles. Why? That they may seek God. They may seek God. You see, God has a heart not only for his people Israel, but he has a heart for you and I, the Gentiles, who did not have the law and who were, were just a law unto ourselves. 
kind of making it up as we go along. And then he gives us light and he gives us life as a result of these good things leading us to repentance. Romans 2.4 says that the goodness of God, the patience of God leads us to repentance. That's where it's going. And ultimately Romans 9 through 11 says the Gentiles are grafted in. We are now the, the, the branch that didn't fit originally, and now we fit into the people of God. I don't want to get into the whole Israel and the church thing, but the bottom line is there's one people of God, right? And it's comprised, I believe, of Israel and the church today, you and I, who, who, who gained this benefit. And so now, as a result of this, the drunkard is still alive, is he not? The criminal is still alive. The atheistic professor is still alive. The abusive, hus- the abusive husband perhaps even on Father's Day, is still alive. Why? Because we're in the day of grace. The death row inmate. Listen, we need to reprogram ourselves a little bit. Ah, the death row problem, right? All the cost and societal and all of this. And, and I get that. You're landing on the justice side right now. And, and, and how people can be on death row for years and decades, right? Appeal after appeal and all the cost to that. And there's a negative side to that. But ladies and gentlemen, listen, we were on death row. Do you forget so soon that we had a hopeless death sentence placed upon us and we didn't even know it. The sentence hadn't even been pronounced. We were just living our way in our godless lusts and we are under the hanging gavel of God and he, through his patience, slowed himself from delivering that death row sentence. And it's not a Judge dread instant death. It is, okay, you have the death sentence, but I'm giving you time. I'm giving you seasons of goodness. I am giving you preachers of righteousness who are trying to warn you. And you take that time and you process that. It won't last forever, but you take the time that is necessary for you to come to your senses. And that is exactly why we have death row. And I can tell you, there's this Angola State Prison down south. I believe it's Mississippi, I believe. There is a seminary on death row. Did you know that? You got to look that up. There's Bible teachers in prison who are on death row. And John Piper has an amazing sermon that says, uh, next stop, not death. I mean, this is all these guys have. This is all they've been waiting for in their lives is when is my day of execution? And, And Piper comes in there and he preaches a sermon, next step, not death. And now there's, there's like a library down there and, and there's people getting educated in the truth and, 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 and why not? It's the grace of God to the ungodly Gentiles. Judgment will not fall until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, Romans 11.25. And this is why Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. And speaking of elect Gentiles who are also chosen as the people of God. I need to move on here. The last one, obviously, after our first parents and the pre-flood humanity and Israel and the Gentiles, I just have to say, the only thing we've left out is you. The only thing we've left out is me, right? You and I have also been recipients of God's patience. As unbelievers trampling on the grace of God, right? You and I, we've done it. We've done it. We all have the BC life. I am so grateful to hear some of your testimonies, some, some testimonies where you have been brought up in a godly home. And little kiddos, you need to be so thankful for godly parents who are steering you in the right direction early. My mom tried, but if you have mom and dads, especially dads who brings that, you know, Paul spoke about this, right? We, we were like a nursing mother to you, Paul said. 
but we also could bring the goods. We also spoke to you as a father and the sternness of a, of a dad that you need. I'm telling you what, it took so many men in my life to, to give me what, what a father could just give. And I'm just saying, be grateful, kids. Be grateful for, for mom and dad on Father's Day who calls you to account once in a while and who maybe even if you're younger can bring the goods. You know what I'm talking about, kiddos? He can bring the goods, right? And so be grateful for that. And that, that shows that he loves you and that he's guiding you and steering you. And you can be saved from so much trouble like I lived through. This is why I'm so strong about some of these things. You say, Eli, you're just kind of wild up there with all these things. But, but I'll say it because I've lived it. And I'll say it because I carry the scars of it. I carry each and every scar of my youthful rebellion against God. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. And that's why God has given you moms and dads who can keep you in the right direction. And it's God blessing you here with his patience. So you don't trample his righteous standard, running into sin, loving sin, praying to sin. Yeah, yeah. You should, I believed in God, but I I would pray for these opportunities, which now once my mind has become clear, I'm like, what was I doing? And who was I even speaking to? And praise God, he didn't answer all of those prayers. <laughs> Charnock says, There could not have been a saint in the earth, nor consequently a saint in heaven, had it not been for this perfection. This is a perfection. This is a perfection of God. He is perfectly patient. And we would not be a believer today. We would be plunged out of existence immediately without the patience of God. Well, I need to close this sermon up here today on Father's Day. I'm going to just give three quick applications as we, as we close here. I hope this has been challenging to you, but um, I think first and foremost, uh, just the last couple blanks in your notes here. What response do we have to all of this as we've learned about the patience of God? First and foremost, I think we need to thank God for his patience, do we not? Thank God for his patience. Um, God is so patient with us. And just today, at some point in time, we'll do this collectively here at the end, but personally, just thank God. This is the relational aspect of you and your faith before God. Just thank him that he has brought you to where you were. We sang a song this morning. Did you catch it? Uh, There's a line in it that said, Lord, I appreciate you. And we should just do that. That's all he's asking for is some appreciation. Be, be grateful, be thanksgiving. And take comfort in in that regard. Secondly, don't presume upon God's patience. That's really the message today, is it not? And if you don't know God, don't presume that God's always and forever going to be there opening this door of opportunity for you. Just don't assume that. Uh, Assume that it could be closing. Assume that it could be closing fast. Today is the day of salvation. And so run to this patient God who loves you, who has given you his son for your life. Don't misinterpret this as God being uncaring or inactive or ignorant or unaware of what's going on in your life. He is aware. In fact, uh, A.W. Tozer has a powerful quote about this very thing. He says, if you're lost and you know it, God has declared that he will banish from his presence all who love sin and reject his son. God has promised that. He has declared that. He has warned and threatened, and it will be so. Let no one trust a desperate hope, for it is based on the belief that God threatens but doesn't fulfill. No, God waits that he may be gracious, and he will sometimes postpone in order to give us another 30 days, another 60 days to make up our minds. But just as sure as the mills of God grind, 
The souls of men will fall into them and are ground exceedingly small. God moves slowly and is very patient, but God has promised that he will banish from his presence all who love sin and all who, re- who reject his son and all who refuse to believe. Don't be one of those today, beloved. Be one of those who runs to God and does no longer presume upon his patience. And then I just want to close today being Father's Day here. I want to just give you the last exhortation as we consider the patience of God in our lives. Should we not also consider being patient to one another? Should, should we not imitate God's patience is what I'd like you to jot in there. We should strive to imitate God's patience. Perfectly? No. Without flaw? No. It, we're going to make mistakes. And this is Father's Day. And we're even going to make mistakes on Father's Day if we haven't already. We're not perfect fathers. And this is why God wants to be the one and only perfect father, right? So, ladies, kids, maybe maybe help us out a little bit as dads because sometimes we can idolize our spouse and we can put them on such a high expectation, right? Well, he knows this or he should be doing this and that's what the Bible says about dads. But we're imperfect fathers and we do the best that we can by God's grace. And so we display to one another patience with one another, unity for one another. Patience for waiting on the Lord who's going to fix all of the problems with our fatherhood one day as we see the one and true Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so mothers too, this is a challenge for us today. Children, there's, there's importance to, to have grace with your parents. Parents have grace with your children. And on Father's Day today, may we, you know, may we be what we're to be, but understanding we, we didn't always come there. We, we all come from different backgrounds. And some of us have great, great godly examples of fathers. And, um, and, and others, others we, uh, we have not had the best examples. And some of us have uh, awesome homes that are stable, mom and dad present, and full of believers in the house, godly churches that we've been brought up in. And uh, others don't have that. And God is, is bringing about something that is going to be so magnificent. And really, it's the body of Christ where this all finds its manifestation. It's, it's, all, it's all about the family of God. And, and Jesus even said this on the cross, I'm going to give you fathers, and I'm going to give you mothers, and I'm going to give you brothers, and I'm going to give you sisters you didn't even know about. And, and this, is, this is what we do here. So whatever your background is this morning, whether it comes from a broken background or a wholesome one, I just want you to know you're in the family of God now and the playing field has just been leveled and now we just relate completely differently to one another based on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is the faithfulness and patience of our God. This is our God and Father. And uh, on Father's Day, I hope that is a challenge and an encouragement to you.